Hi, this is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, where our mission is to bring Christ's hope, healing, and wholeness to our community and to our world. Our service times are 9 and 11 each Sunday morning. Find out more at www.communitycovenant.net. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with pieces of of the five barley loaves and are left over by those who had eaten them. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Hey, thanks, Brian. Well, we have just a couple of weeks left in our summer series. Um, down but not out. Of course, you have this week and, and we have next week. And uh, as we're kind of winding down this series and we're getting ready for our, our new fall series, which you'll hear more about next week, um, I'm thinking, you know, who, who would be someone I'd really want to highlight? And, uh, of course, the thing that I enjoy so much about this scripture is that God invites us to enter into the narrative, right? It's really his story. And, and we get to join him and, and find our place in that story. Uh, you know, the scripture is about events and people in the past, but it's also about events and people in the present. And I know for myself, as I read through the scripture and I encounter the various people in their lives, there are some I identify with, more than others. Is that, is that your experience too? And, and so for me, uh, the ones I identify with, it, it seems like um, the message that God has uh, in their lives or in the events uh, surrounding their lives uh, seems like it especially ministers to me. So I'm thinking about this and I'm, I'm thinking, okay, Lord, a couple weeks left. Mm, who should I talk about? And, uh, of course, uh, John 6 came to mind. And, I, and I'll tell you why in a second. Maybe you'll be able to relate to me. Uh, maybe you won't. 
What I learned a long time ago uh, in giving messages is that a message may be 20 or 25 minutes, a half hour, uh, and anywhere along the line, as you're listening to me or whoever is delivering the message, uh, if something grabs you, right, uh, it could be like within the first two minutes. It's like it grabs you and your mind is there and the next 28 minutes don't even matter, right? Or it could be halfway through. Um, something grabs a hold of you and the Lord is stirs in your heart with it and, and He brings conviction or encouragement or it speaks to where you are in life and it's as if the rest of the message uh, doesn't matter. Maybe you had that experience. None of you have had that experience. Wow. Okay. You're a lively crowd. Okay. Yeah. Can't wait for 11 or, well, yeah, 11 o'clock. Okay. So today, uh, as I share, maybe this is going to grab you. Uh, maybe it's not. Uh, but I hope that it gives encouragement uh, for all of us. So I want to start by making a statement. Of all the things in the English language, the thing I probably like the least um, are contractions. Okay? Now, you know what a contraction is. A contraction is an apostrophe that goes in the place of letters. Uh, it, it shortens um, words. And so, for example, are not... You put an apostrophe in there and it becomes aren't. Or, or will not, you put an apostrophe in there and it becomes uh, won't. Or cannot, you put an apostrophe in there and uh, it becomes can't. You follow? Now, why do I dislike contraction so much? Because it seems like in my life I have had a battle to overcome the power of words that have contractions in them in my life. Um, in my life, uh, from early on, there were people who spoke negativity into my life. And negativity was often associated with contractions like, you aren't. You aren't. Okay? Or, you won't. Or, you can't. Right? You, you follow? And, and so for me, contractions uh, are, are associated with negative statements about me. And, and growing up, there were um, real negative influences in my life. And it's amazing how, how, how that negativity gets encoded into your mind and your heart. And pretty soon you start believing the things that that, that people say about you or to you. Do you know that? That happens. And, and I want to pause here and I want to say this. If you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, okay, uh, if you are somebody who is in a position where uh, children or a young person looks up to you, uh, I just want to implore you in the name of Jesus to remove negativity. Remove it from your conversation with young people and your children. Um, 
it is damaging and it sets them on a course for life that is very, very difficult. I just have to say that this morning. Now, in my life, uh, I had a stepfather that was really negative. I mean, he was just the most negative person you could ever imagine. And he used to assail me with negative contractions. Okay? Every day, I was reminded of what I wasn't, of what I couldn't do, of what I wouldn't do, of why I wasn't good enough. I heard it over and over and over again. It's as if he just ground it into my mind and my heart. Okay? It's devastating. Devastating. At any stage of life, but especially when you're a little one. But conversely, I had my mother. And my mom, amidst all the chaos and the negativity that was in our home at that time, she would pull me aside and say, Son, don't listen to that. You do have what it takes. You will become something. You are good enough. You can do it. Okay? So growing up, I had these competing messages in my life. Okay? And... Uh, the positive ones were like life preserver. I wanted to grab onto those, and, and I did. And fortunately, as I moved along in life, when I came to crossroads where I could hear both those voices, right, and I had a choice to make, uh, I, I, I chose to listen to the positive message that my mom gave me. Uh, when people ask me... Um, what is it in your life that, that you would say is most responsible for you overcoming the, the adversities and the challenges you faced, especially early on in your life? What, what are the things that are most responsible? Number one was the positive reinforcement and message my mother gave me about who I am. Okay? Number two is the grace of God at work in my life. Those two things combined became powerful. And they were more powerful than the negativity and the adversity that I faced, okay? Um, I am so grateful for those positive words, the words of life that helped me remain buoyant. They were like a life preserver in turbulent waters, okay? So I just want to encourage you to speak life, to speak positivity, um, be real, right? But look for opportunities to be positive and, and, and really check yourself, your tongue at the door when it comes to being negative. So, where am I going with this? Contractions. Apostrophes. So all through my life, I'm having to work to overcome those things. That's real, okay? Can I be honest with you? I mean, it, it, it's still real in my life. I'm 59 years old, and I've spent my entire life overcoming those things. Making a conscious decision not to listen to those messages, the negative ones, and grabbing onto the positive ones. I know there are some of you here that can relate to what I'm talking about. I know you can. And um, you carry those into young adulthood and, 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 and adulthood, and, and again... Uh, had to work through those things. 
I mean, you know, and, and, and here I am as a pastor. Every Sunday I get up and I stand before you and I hear the good, the bad, the ugly. Y'all, y'all have things to say about me and how I do or this sermon wasn't as good as last week's sermon and so on and so forth, right? Uh, and, and, and that's true, by the way. Uh, I agree with you. Um, but I have to work through that. I have to filter that. Even now, all these years later, it's just, it's just the reality of the way it goes. And, uh, you know, I got into college. I've told you this story. In college, I, I, I flunked out three times. I couldn't finish anything. I started. I was depressed after my mom died. And it was a hard time. And, 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 and man, academically, I did so poorly. What did I do? I just reinforced. It was reinforcement, right? You're stupid. You don't know anything. You don't have what it takes. You're not smart enough, right? You see that? See how that goes? Had to overcome that. Had to work through that. Um, and it did. It was a lot of work. All right, where am I headed? Here's my point. The thing I like about the story today is that Jesus is gathered with 5,000 men. They think it's actually when women and children, 20,000 additional, okay? So you've had tens, I mean, you have a lot of people there on the side of the hill. And uh, he had been performing miracles, and people saw those miracles. They were drawn to him. They wanted to be around him. He had gone off to a place with just himself and his disciples, and sure enough, the crowds follow. And what we're going to find here in the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle that appears in all four Gospels. Okay? The only one that appears in all four Gospels. And this miracle is one of four in John's Gospels that's going to testify to the fact of who Jesus is, that he is the Messiah. Okay? Interestingly enough, of those four, there are two creative miracles. One, he turns the water into wine, right? He creates something, water to wine, at the wedding feast at Cana. And here, he is going to do what? Take the five loaves and the two fish, and he's going to use that to feed all the people that are there, the 5,000 plus. So two creative miracles. Each of these miracles is designed to testify to the fact that he is Messiah. So all these people are gathered. Jesus takes the opportunity to teach them. And he's teaching them about the kingdom of God and about preparation for the kingdom. Now we know that from the other gospel accounts. And as he's teaching them, they're getting late into the day. And as they get late into the day, the question is, hey, these people are hungry. It's time for them to eat. What are we going to do with them? What are we going to do with them? Now, now Jesus already knows what he is going to do. But this is an opportunity for him to help his disciples and the others see exactly who he is and what he is capable of doing. Not only as it relates to them individually, but to the claim of Messiah uh, and to his authority and his power 
and um, precisely as it relates to the promises of the Old Testament that he is going to fulfill. And you see that in this passage. So open your Bibles up. Let's look at it again quickly. To John 6. So in verse 5, oh, by the way, this is the the Passover festival was near. In, In John's gospel, there are actually three different accounts of the Passover. Uh, two take place in Jerusalem, but this one here in the, uh, in the area of Galilee. And so this is uh, one of three accounts. And it says, the Passover, verse 4, was near. Verse 5, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And then it goes on to say, he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Now, this test wasn't to uh, demean Philip and the others, but used as an opportunity to build them up and strengthen them in their faith. Okay? Um, so, when we think of a test, why did Jesus do that? When he knew, was that a cruel trick? No. He's using this opportunity to further communicate with them and help them understand who he is. And it's for their benefit. So, Philip answered him. Now, why did he ask Philip? Because this was the region that Philip was from. Philip would have known where to go and get the bread, where to go and get food for all these people. And and so, he would know. This was something he'd be familiar with. But he answered it would take almost a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Now, a year's wages is 200 denarii, or really about eight months' wages. What Philip is saying is, it would take eight months' worth of wages to feed all these people. Now, notice, Philip is thinking about his own resources. Philip is thinking about... um, the, the physical limitations of, of what is present and what he can do, right? He's not thinking about Jesus. He's not thinking about necessarily what Jesus can do. But he's thinking about himself. And that's the answer he gives. Now, it's interesting here. In Numbers eleven thirteen, Moses, when confronted with the people, the children of Israel in the wilderness... He asked the question of the Lord, how in the world am I going to feed all these people? Right? That's Numbers eleven thirteen. That's important going forward. In 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 42 through 44, Elijah uh, is going to take some barley loaves and he's going to feed uh, a number of people through a miracle. And so what you're seeing here and what's about to happen and what Jesus is setting up is his association with the prophets of old, with Moses and Elijah. Moses provided manna or bread, if you will, for the people, the children of Israel in the wilderness. Elisha, the prophet, provided bread and performed a miracle 
to feed a great number with just a little bit. Uh, both of those things would have been really present in, in the minds of the people that were assembled. They would be familiar with these stories, okay? So, verse 8. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two fish. But, right? But, how far will this go among so many? All right. Here's the issue. The people are there. Jesus is teaching. It's getting late into the day. Jesus says to Philip, Hey, uh, where are we going to find enough food to feed all these people? Philip says, Man, I, I know where to go find it, but it would take nearly a, a year's wages, eight months to be exact, to buy enough food so that everyone could have just a little bit of a bite. Right? Then Andrew, Peter's brother, says, well, there is this boy, and he has five barley loaves and a couple of fish. Now, it's very interesting. The barley loaf isn't a, a loaf of bread the way you or I would expect it to be. It's actually like a, something that would be uh, made on a flat, hot iron, round, not very thick. Kind of like pita bread is really. And barley, in particular, uh, was a staple of people who were very poor. So not only is it just five loaves and a couple fish, but it's representative of the lunch or the food that's available to a very poor person. In this case, this boy. So it really further emphasizes and really potentially minimizes what you could do with it. Not only is it just five loaves and a couple of fish, but it's barley loaves. And uh, so you kind of get the, the setting here. And Jesus is going to do something completely unexpected. He's going to bless the loaves and the fish, and then miraculously it's going to be multiplied to the point where there are 12 basketfuls left over. So not only is he going to provide, but he's going to provide in abundance. He's going to provide in abundance. Interestingly enough, remember the two creative miracles? Uh, the water to wine at the Feast of Cana. And here we have the bread. Uh, both creative miracles, the water into wine and the loaves and fishes into, into the bread to feed the people. Uh, both those elements are present in communion, aren't they? Isn't that interesting? And then the 12 baskets left over. Think about that. The 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, symbolically, perhaps, uh, there's a message there that Jesus is more than adequate and able to provide an abundance and more for the tribes, right, as the Messiah. So there's all kinds of things you can look through here. But why did I focus on this? Because of the boy. Because of the boy. 
five barley loaves and two fish. Andrew himself looked at it and says, well, here's five barley loaves and two fish, but even if we were to distribute that, that would, that mean that that's not enough. Well, obviously, there's a little bit of kind of like a, like a sarcasm in that. Uh, yeah, we have this, but it's not enough, right? But here's the point. The boy, um, the one who ostensibly has the least to offer, brings what he has. And it's enough in the hands of Jesus. Do you see that? Can you see that? It's much less than eight months' wages. It's not even the good bread, it's the barley bread. It's the food of the poor, the pauper, the people that have a little. And he's a child, he's a boy. And, of course, you know from a few weeks ago, and in those days, I mean, children, I mean, they really were to be seen and not heard. They didn't have much standing, and yet he's coming forward, he's identified, and he's willing to give what he has. He's willing to give what he has. Why do I identify with that? Um, Because for me, uh, in my life, I've often questioned, do I really have anything to offer? You may not think that, but that's my own little struggle that I've had to battle with. Let alone, what do I have to offer God? Is there anything of real value or substance that he can use to make a difference? Something that's measurable in the life of others, in the life of the world, right? Because for a lot of my life, I was told, no, you really don't. And so I see this boy, and I can see myself. And I can see myself saying, you know, I don't have much to offer, Lord. And what I have to offer, really, in the eyes of those around, is like barley loaves. It's it's kind of very little. It's not even the good stuff. But what I have, I want to give you. Because I believe whatever I have, however little it is, or whatever other people think about what it is I have, if I give it to you, Lord, in your hands, you can take something that's very small or just not worth much at all. And you can do great things with it. You can make a difference, a measurable difference with it. And so for me, I feel like that boy. I identify with that boy. You know, every day, Lord, here it is. Here, here's my basket. This is what I got. And Lord, I know that no matter what anybody else thinks or says or believes about what's in that basket, that in your hands, you can take it and you can use it to accomplish your purpose. You can use it to make an impact in the lives of other people. You can make a measurable difference in the world with just a little bit that I have to offer you. And I don't know about you. All I can tell you is about a person like me. 
in my life, where I've been, and uh, the things that, that I have struggled with, that is great news. And I hope that's good news for you. Because I know that I'm not the only one in here that struggles with that or has struggled with that or has had to work through that. Right? I know I'm not. Uh, and, and maybe you're sitting here and your basket's full and uh, you have gone through life believing that, you know what, I am God's gift to the world and I have lots to offer and, and uh, God's going to use all the great things that I have and He's going to do wonderful. I'm not talking to you today. Okay? I'm talking to people like the boy. I'm talking to people like myself. Okay? Whatever it is you have, don't minimize it. Because a little bit, and every single one of us has something to offer. Whatever that is, God can multiply it in a way that you can't even imagine. It's like the loaves and the fishes. Because you come to Him like a child and you say, Lord, this is all I got. And it may not be much. And it doesn't compare to eight months' salary or all the things that the world values, but it's what I've got. And I'm giving it to you. Man, I'll tell you what. That's powerful. That's powerful. That changes the narrative, doesn't it? It really, truly does. Well, Jesus performs the miracle, and then we read in John 6.14 that the people saw the sign Jesus performed And they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. And then 15, Jesus, knowing they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew to the mountain by himself. So, you know what the people were responding to? The people were responding to this. Gee, Moses in Deuteronomy 18, 15 and following talked about a prophet. And, and Moses said, there's going to come a prophet to you, to Israel. And you're to listen to that prophet. It's going to be a prophet like myself, right? That God is going to use to feed you, to provide for you. This is going to be a prophet. He's coming. And when he comes, you receive him. So they're aware of that. And this is a time in Israel's history when, man, they are oppressed. They are waiting to be free from the oppression of Rome and and, and the conquering foreign armies and government. And, man, talk of the Messiah is just rampant. And, in fact, there were many false messiahs came and went during this time. Okay? And so they were waiting and their hearts were ready. And they said, ah, Moses, he fed the people bread in the wilderness. Um, he, he, uh, he led them out of bondage. Here's Jesus. He's feeding us on the hillside. 
maybe he can lead us out of bondage. And they associate him, rightfully so, with Deuteronomy 18.15. Okay? But here's the important point. They want to seize him, and they want to make him king. And here are 5,000 men that are ready to follow him because they want him to overthrow Rome. They have their understanding, their desire for what a Messiah should be and what the Messiah should do. The Messiah should fit their notion and should accomplish what it is they want. Obviously, he fed them, he taught them, but they didn't hear clearly from him. Because he talked about the kingdom. And the the kingdom was about repentance and preparation and readiness. Uh, The kingdom was about uh, living differently. The kingdom was about uh, a hope that would come with the Messiah. And and that didn't match. And and so they're thinking, wow, this is the king. He's going to overthrow and it's going to happen now. We're going to seize him. And you know what? We do that too. We hear the message of the gospel. We maybe offer him what we have. But then we expect him, we expect him to follow our agenda. Right? We expect him to follow our agenda. And Jesus is saying, listen, I am Messiah. I can provide. I will lead you. But you need to follow my agenda. So this morning, as we continue in worship, there's a couple things I want to just conclude by saying. In our church, we have all kinds of opportunity. All kinds of places for you to offer whatever it is you have. And maybe you don't think what you have is significant. Maybe you have what you have you don't think can possibly make a difference. Whether that be in the offering of your time, the offering of your talent, the offering of your treasure. Whatever it is you have to offer, don't minimize your contribution. Don't minimize what Christ can do in you and through you as you take what you have. Don't put an apostrophe that doesn't need to be in your life. Because Jesus doesn't want it there. He wants to take his little eraser and just get rid of that. Okay? And when you give, give freely. The boy didn't know what Jesus was going to do. He just gave. Right? Give freely. Freely. Give and follow Jesus' agenda, not your own. And join Him in what He wants to do. In this church, in our community, in our state, in our world, in your life, give what you have. And then surrender yourself. And watch Him Multiply many times over.
exceedingly, abundantly, beyond anything you can expect or imagine. Amen? Amen. As the worship team comes forward, let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the offering of a boy. Doesn't seem like much, but in the hands of our Savior, it was more than enough. And Father, what we have to offer, and many of us, Lord, maybe we've struggled with negativity. Maybe we have felt like we don't have much to offer you. But Lord, that couldn't be further from the truth. And God, this morning, you want to take whatever it is we have, no matter how little or how much, and as we surrender that to you, you can do the improbable. You can do the impossible. You can perform miracles beyond our wildest imaginations. And so, Father, whether we come to you this morning with a barley loaf or we come to you, Lord, with a, a cinnamon roll, God, receive our offering. Use it and multiply it many times over, even as you did the loaves and the fishes. Lord, thank you for your eraser. Thank you for removing the contractions the negative ones in our life. We'll give you all the praise and the honor and the glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.